What's up, y'all? Bitch two here. Hi, bitch one over here. Uh, we have an interesting show today. <laughs> I when when we decided that we were gonna do this show today and talk about the Olympics, that was a few days ago, and I did not think we would have so much to unpack. <laughs> Correct. You know, I thought it was gonna be a, a nice light show. We could talk about how the US Olympic team as a whole was doing in various sports, cover it real quick. Talk about our victories, talk about our struggles, keep it moving. But now things have just gotten yeah. kind of things have gotten kind of deep. It sounds like uh, a lot has happened in the last two days. A lot, man. <laughs> last few days, actually, yeah. everybody was looking forward to how the women's gymnastics team was going to do with mm-hmm. Simone Biles, mm-hmm. and there have been developments in that arena that have <laughs> shaken up the news circuits. <laughs> Today. The, yesterday. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. the the men's basketball team went from being a disappointment to just being beyond impressive. <laughs> Shout out to Devin Booker as usual. <laughs> but we'll get to that hopefully because the other stuff that we have to talk about, like I don't know, like I'm I'm gonna be looking at my watch. If we have time, we'll talk about men's basketball because I really want to. But the other topics that we have to get to first, like, I, I really do wish we could talk about all the women because the women's basketball team, mm-hmm. they they have shown up mm-hmm. and they've been performing well from jump. It's one of those situations where, you know how they say when you're doing your job right, nobody notices? Uh-huh. They've been killing it so far. Well, I mean, they had, they had one game, but they killed it. <laughs> they killed it, right? But... Because that's expected of them, right? And there are uh-huh. so many other things going on. It's just getting pushed to the back burner as yeah. far as news. So it always be, happens I, like that. To I them. just feel and the it's need. So <laughs> sad. It's just so sad. <laughs> so I just feel the need to mention it. Like I'm gonna try to make this quick. So yes. one, the women's basketball three by three team won gold. It's the first time killed it. Killed it. It's the first time that the three by three basketball game has been a part of the Olympic competition, and the U.S. women's team is bringing home, bringing home gold. So congratulations! Yes, congrats. Women's soccer team redeemed themselves. Yes. So here's what I thought was interesting about that situation: they lost to Sweden, and then they beat the brakes off New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, I was watching it and when they scored that sixth goal, I was thinking they didn't have to. But then I remembered the way the competition is set up. There's that goal differential that that Uh comes into play. So I guess they felt like they needed it. I don't really blame them. Oh, yeah. But what I thought was interesting was during their match against Australia, everybody were saying that they should be playing more aggressive. And by everybody, I mean people on Twitter and one of the announcers uh, was saying that they should be playing more aggressive. and But here's why I respect how they played, because there was a difference. If you watch how they played against New, New Zealand, Zealand. Mm-hmm. and then you watch how they played against Australia, they were not as aggress- aggressive on offense. But the thing is, because of the goal differential, they were already ahead, right. technically. Yeah. All they needed to do was stop Australia from scoring because if they tie then because of the goal differential they get to move on right and so if the strategy is to not allow Australia to score and you start getting overzealous and cause penalties Mm -hmm. then you're actually increasing the odds that Australia might score so while I while I understand 
that people might might have wanted to see and a more exciting game. I actually respect the way they played because I criticize athletes all the time for playing for their ego. Yeah, I do. I see it in Derby sometimes where there are athletes who will go on the track and they will hit people really hard and they'll be really aggressive, but they're, they're not running the plays yeah. that have been called by their captains and coaches. Oof. They're not staying with their wall. Oof. You know, they're not uh-huh. helping out their fellow blockers. And it's uh-huh. just like, what's the point in you going out here and being uh-huh. on 12 Preach, girl. when Preach. you're not actually helping your team? Mm-hmm. You're just making mm-hmm. yourself look really mm-hmm. tough and fierce. You're not playing offense. You're not playing defense. You're not helping your jammer. You're not helping your blockers. You're right. just out there hitting people. You're not doing literally. this for your team. You're doing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like the the U.S. women's soccer team was sending a really good message about playing in accordance to what's important well, yeah. um, as opposed to playing to make yourself feel good or <clears throat> solely to live up to some expectation. Yeah, I feel like they were playing smart. In they were playing way. smart. Like, they were playing not as aggressive, keeping themselves, you know, from injury or any other kind of thing that could have happened so they can go hard on the next. Exactly, which is what I expect them to do. Yeah. I, because it's not like they can't do it. We saw them do it against oh, New Zealand, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we saw multiple times, but yeah. Right. So, you know, we'll see what happens as they move forward in competition. But I was proud of that. But speaking of playing smart, considering what's important, doing what's best for the team. I know what's coming. Simone Biles. Hey! (laughs) Woo! The queen. (laughs) The queen. The goat. The goat, indeed. Um, (laughs) So the word of the day is consideration. And especially in regards to mental health. So there are two Olympians, Naomi Osaka of Japan and Simone Biles of the USA, mm-hmm. that have recently become the faces of mental health awareness in the sports world. Mm-hmm. And I, I gotta shout them out for being women of color and doing this. I really do. Like yeah. it, oh, that yeah. just it feels significant to me. And I could do a deep dive into sociology about why that's important, but just know that's that's very significant. Um, it's so, important. It's important <laughs> that it's getting so much light. It, it is very important. It is. So Osaka, as we've discussed before, uh, received criticism for refusing to attend post-game press conferences during the French Open. And Simone Biles, uh, this past week, withdrew from, when I first planned this episode, it was one competition. Now, as of today, it's two different competitions she's withdrawn from during the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have been conflating the two situations, but I actually look at them as two very separate situations, although they have some common themes. So let's talk about Osaka first, because I have a lot to say about Simone Biles, but I want to talk about Osaka and her documentary first. Okay, let's do it. So I watched it first. It wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be. Me neither. Yeah, me neither. Even though it's it's only three episodes, I I don't know why. I just thought the episodes were going to be like an hour and a half each, but they're not. They're like 40 minutes. So Yeah, I think other docuseries that we've seen... um, were just longer. So in my mind, I thought it was going to yes, be long. Then I started exactly. watching it. I was like, yes. oh, I can get through yes, this. Yes. So it's very let's, digestible. Let's very, talk very about digestible. what's happened with Naomi over the past week. So in a surprising Ooh, upset. Girl. I just feel so <laughs> bad for her. <laughs> I, I do as well. Um, but it, it was a surprising upset when, when Naomi Osaka was knocked out of the Olympics after losing in two straight sets to Marketa Vondrasova. I hope I pronounced that right of the Czech Republic in the third round. Mm -hmm. So this loss came just 
10 days after her self-titled docuseries was released on Netflix. And this was three days after she made a pretty significant cultural statement by lighting the cauldron during the Olympic ceremony. Mm-hmm. So after she lost to Vondrasova, she didn't take questions, but later she did go back to the press con- to the press area mm-hmm. and she answered one question. And just one. Very just important. One, yeah, she, she said one thing. Yeah. And so uh, she said, and I quote, I feel like I should be used to it by now. And by it, she meant the pressure. She mm-hmm. said, I feel like I should be used to it by now. But at the same time, the scale of everything has been a bit hard because of the break that I took. I'm glad I didn't lose in the first round, at least. <laughs> That's important to her. Yeah. After that, a journalist said, how do you feel? And she didn't respond. She looked upset <laughs> and she was with her agent um, and and she left after that. So um, she's she's often referred to as um, a goat in tennis mm-hmm. and referred to as being number one, which she was for a while. But um, it should be noted that right now she's actually ranked number two. And the person who is uh, ranked number one, Australia's Ashley Barty, mm-hmm. actually also was upset in this tournament. Um, but she's still competing in the in the women's doubles and mixed doubles. So one thing I want to say about this this loss, it was an upset, but I watched it. And what was interesting to me was that, in my opinion, Vondrasova wasn't necessarily better than Osaka. She threw some things at Osaka that it looked like Osaka literally wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of two things, because if you follow Bitches Love Sports on Twitter, we do have a Twitter, so look for us. Mm. Um, I did. I I like to live tweet during the games. A lot of fans like to live tweet during the game. So if I'm if I'm watching or, you know, if one of us is watching, we'll live tweet, we'll participate. And one of the things I said was that she didn't look like herself. Mm-hmm. She didn't. In, in the first set, she was moving pretty <clears throat> slow. She was reacting slowly. So yeah. she didn't Which look like herself. Which is not her thing. She's actually pretty quick. When right. Moving sideways and walking forward, she's actually pretty quick at that. But in her documentary, one of the things that she mentioned was that with her playing style, she doesn't have to think a lot. Yeah. And so I'm she's thinking for, for some reason mm-hmm. in that moment, she was overthinking the situation. And someone said that it was because her opponent was a left-hander. Maybe, but her record against left-handers is actually not that bad. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it had to be something more than that. Not saying that it's another mental health issue, but something about the style of play was throwing her off. And I know um, one of the things that was was obviously throwing her off was those volleys that were close to the net. Because Mm -hmm. as long as the balls were were being hit hard to where they would make it to the other side of the court... She was she catching did. them mm-hmm. laterally. You know, she was on. She was on point in the second set. She got there. She got to the point where she was moving and shaking laterally. But when those balls were landing close to the net, she her reaction to run up to the net and hit them back over mm-hmm. was delayed, and that ended up costing her a couple of points. And eventually, she did start to get it. So that's why I was thinking, if they had more sets like the men's game, she probably could have come back. Yeah. And if she ever had to play Vondrasova again, she, I think she'd be she ready. Win. Because mm-hmm. it was obvious during during the match, she was learning. She was catching up. Yeah. It's just, you only have so many sets, you right, know? You right. only have so, so much time options, to get yeah. this right. And yeah. it wasn't enough time for her to get it right. So yeah. I will say that. I don't think... I don't think Osaka is falling off. I think this was a a style of gameplay that she wasn't used to, wasn't ready for. It caught her off guard, and 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 it happened. Losses happen, you know? Um, Do you think that she maybe 
didn't have time to train enough from the break that she took after the French Open? Um, I don't, I don't think it's that she didn't train enough. I think it looked like she didn't train for that. Okay. Okay. It looks like that specifically. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. But as I was watching that game, uh, that match, because that match uh, occurred shortly after I watched the documentary, I did recall some of the things from the documentary. Let's talk about this quote. I know you have some quotes for, for the documentary mm-hmm. from the documentary that, that we can really dive deep into. Mm-hmm. And the reason I want to talk about this is because we talk a lot about what these players are saying as far as mental health. And I think it's important to dig into what they're talking about because it's a reflection of what they go through as star athletes mm-hmm. in today's sports world. Yeah. And so I really think it's important to consider <clears throat> as we're analyzing these sports competitions and what happens to really take into consideration what they're saying about their own situation. Because yeah. how can we sit here and try to criticize them for what they say or the decisions that they make, yeah. but not actually take the time to hear them out when they do right. make the effort of presenting uh, their thoughts to us in right. whatever form, whether it's an interview or a docuseries or yeah. a tweet or whatever. Um, and quick shout out to LeBron James for being one one of the yes. executive producers on this docuseries. LeBron, you're everywhere, like, man. If this, you hear this, ooh. This is why he's a billionaire. Come to the show. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. If we get big enough to have LeBron James on, I'm bringing Devin Booker to the show. Um, no. <laughs> Duh. Yannis, come over. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, after that little break, <laughs> I just want to say, like, it's, it's, I like to watch these kind of documentaries because it shows the athlete as the person that they are. Yes. Not just who everybody sees them as the athlete that they are. Mm-hmm. It's like a more personal level, like what they go through, how they're they bringing, like, Everything in their life in general, like the pressure, not just from being an athlete, but their surroundings and their personal life and everything. Like, I feel like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people just see these athletes as a, I don't know, like, like a, like a puppet or something. It's not a person. It's just, you know, it's just either a dollar sign or, you know, it's just like entertainment and they don't really go, like, they don't really think about the, it's, it's an actual human being. It's yes. an, an actual person. It's true. We, we start to dehumanize them. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, that's the best way to say it. Yes. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because as I was watching this documentary, I was thinking about the fact that I sometimes use what I think athletes think about and what I think they do as motivation to push myself sometimes in situations <clears throat> that might be unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times where, you know, I'm, I'm training and when I'm thinking about whether or not I should take a break or whether or not I should quit for the day. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, Simone Biles wouldn't quit. You know, <laughs> Naomi Osaka wouldn't, wouldn't take a break. You know, and I'm like, why do I think that? Yeah. You know, uh-huh. and so I think it's important to put this out there because I, actually I'm going to save this point for later. Okay. Let me, let me get to this quote because I was about to get to a point that I actually wanted to, a parallel that I actually wanted to draw um, when we talked to Simone Biles. So remind me. Okay. So this one particular quote 
that Naomi Osaka made in, in uh, I believe this was episode one of the docuseries. She said, I feel like I really need to like mentally take a break and just like chill out. I should think about the future instead of always being stuck in the present. For so long, I've tied winning to my worth as a person. Mm-hmm. Anyone that would know me would know me for being a tennis player. So like, what am I if not a good tennis player? When that she got said so that, deep, right? <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness! Yeah. And especially when she said, "I think about the future instead of always being stuck in the in present," the present. Mm-hmm. because a lot of times, what's encouraged is the opposite. Right? We are so encouraged to to. If you do this now, it's gonna it's gonna affect your future. Like, think about what you're gonna do, how you're gonna do it, and what is it gonna be? Yeah. Right. And she's saying like. She, she's like, I actually should think about my future. I'm mm-hmm. just so invested in this moment. And I put so much weight on this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I did allow myself to just chill out and just, like, really think about what my future looks looks like? And I was like, wow, I have never really flipped that philosophy on its head that way. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, and, she's, and she's so young. That's something else to remember. Yes. She's thinking this, these, this deeply. She's 23. Yeah. Like. She, and, and she's so young. And to she's say, coming up with this, you know, <laughs> what am I yes. if not a good tennis player? And it's like, to me, that was heartbreaking for someone so young mm-hmm. to tie their worth to, to something that is their occupation. Right. It's, you know? Yes, yes. Yes. And, and later in the docuseries, there's a scene where she's at a dinner birthday party with her parents. Oh, that was so sad. And she, so she turns to her mom and says, <clears throat> do you think I would have done more at 22 or is this acceptable? And I'm like, you are a world-class athlete. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is this acceptable? What kind of pressure yeah. must you be putting on yourself or somebody in your life mm-hmm. is putting you under mm-hmm. for you to feel like at 22, somehow yeah. with all that you've built, all yeah. that you've accomplished, that you you're haven't letting them down. And, and I should say that, you know, her parents did, assure her that she's accomplished a lot, that she's exceeded expectations and that they were very proud of her. So, so that did happen. But the fact that she had this thought in the first place, I was like, wow, she's like really putting a lot of pressure on herself. But there are several times during the docuseries where she refers to herself as a vessel. Um, and the one time when she goes into detail about what she means by that, she talks about all this work that people have put into her mm-hmm. and she's just a vessel and so when she doesn't perform and when she doesn't win, she feels like she's letting these people everybody down. The down. staff, the training, everybody that works with her. Yeah, like, that was really sad too. It was. It was. Sad. It was a sad documentary. It it kind of was <laughs> just because her mindset, and it doesn't ever really get resolved. I feel like she's ahead of her time. She is. She is of her age, at least very ahead of her age. Like she's. Yeah. She is. But I'm glad that she put it out there because there's some young athlete that's thinking about, um, that's thinking these same thoughts. Yeah. It's like, what am I if not a good tennis player or soccer player or basketball player? Yeah. What am I? And even though she doesn't totally answer those questions, towards the end of the documentary, you see she starts to find her voice by using her platform mm, yes. to spread awareness for social justice issues, specifically Black Lives Matter. Yes. Um, that was really But there's some young athlete that is thinking these thoughts and may think something is wrong with them for having these feelings and thinking these thoughts. And so they may find some comfort in just knowing that one of the best athletes in the world is thinking the same thing and yeah. struggling with the same things. Yeah. And speaking of young athletes, she had an interesting interaction mm-hmm. with uh, Coco Goff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was 
Like the first match that they did, Coco Guff was 15. Yes, so young. 15. Like, what are you even doing? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of tennis players come on the scene young. But for her to reach that level. That level. That's yes. what I'm saying. Like, I mean, Naomi was still really, really young, but 15. I was just mm. blown away. And then she she lost and Naomi just took her on the press conference and hugged her and they both cried together and you were just so cute and adorable. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that when Coco Goff lost... Naomi had the capacity to be there for her and to Mm -hmm. comfort her and encourage her to do the press conference. But then later, when Coco Goff won and Naomi Osaka lost that match, (laughs) Naomi did not want (laughs) to be in that press conference. And to me, it was just interesting to see how different the response was based on the win versus the loss. Not to say that there's anything hypocritical about her actions. But to me, it just showed the significance of how much that weighs on her. Right, right, right. And how how different her emotions are based on a win versus a loss. It's like she's almost a completely different person. Yeah. Because when Coco lost, she was like... It helps if if we sh- if you share your feelings yeah. with everyone here. It'll help. And Coco said, "I'm gonna cry the whole time." And Naomi was re- very reassuring. I'm gonna be here with you. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, Naomi went to Coco Goff's parents and talked about how they raised an incredible athlete because apparently when they were younger, they were training in the same place. You know, they crossed uh, yeah, paths. She was you know about that. Yes. And yes. so when she was winning. You know, she just had so much capacity to be a support for someone else. Yeah. And when she lost, all that was drained. And so connecting that back to that statement of what am I if not a good tennis player? Mm-hmm. I'm just a vessel. And if I'm not winning, I'm not doing my part. There just seemed to be that connection between her own self-perception yeah. based on a win versus a loss. And so... During the three episodes, you kind of see her rise to the status as number one in the world. And then you kind of see how she falls off. And she starts to fall off. Um, and by falling off, she didn't really fall off. She felt <laughs> like, I mean, she's, she was still one of the greatest. But, you know, she lost in matches that people didn't expect her to lose. And this started to happen around the time that Kobe Bryant died. I was about to say that. That's when she played yes. in Spain and she lost that match. Yes. And then it was like literally days after. Yes. And, and, and people like, it, like they didn't even give her the time to grieve or like just the, just the thought of the, or like, you know, like give her a chance to like express like she's not herself right now. She's grieving the death of, of, of her, you know, like the person that she looked up to for a long time, you know? Yeah, not just looked up to. They were close. They were close, yeah. You know, there's that scene the where she talks about how she wanted to text him about oh, what she was, was going so through. so sad. And she didn't because she, she said it was going to make her him. feel like a loser. Yes. And then he passed away. And that was a point when I almost teared I, yeah, up. Oh, I did. Because <laughs> I was like, that has got to... That's gonna haunt you forever. Like that's just not, not only ha- I cannot imagine the kind of pain that you might feel to not only know that someone so close to you passed away, mm-hmm. but that the opportunity that you had to communicate with them one last time you didn't take mm-hmm. because 
you were you had so much going on mm-hmm. mentally yourself you couldn't bring yourself to communicate with them mm-hmm. and that's one of those things that we talk about a lot that mm-hmm. like you never know like that that one time might be the last time that's one of those things that people say a lot almost mm-hmm. they intended as hyperbole yeah but it's but something it that could really happen, yes, you know? Yes, and my sure. heart broke for her in that moment, watching her go through that, because mm-hmm. she had her phone out. You could tell she she wanted to text him in that moment. Yeah. And, like, I've even been through that. Her was where, her and him. Yeah. Did you see it? it was yes. So yes. And I, like... I wanted her to be able to text him. I wanted to just be like, just, just send the text. Just, yeah. Just do it. Man. But... You know, some of the questions that she got kind of made it make sense to me why she started to have bad feelings about the press. Because here are some of the questions that she that she got that show up in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Things like this. What is your takeaway after this loss? This was after her loss to Coco. They said, what is your takeaway after this loss? Do you feel as devastated as other times when you've had to exit a tournament early or do you feel different? What if the answer to that question is yes? <laughs> like, is it? I'm is that really because something? I really want to punch the, the the person in the face right now. Right. I'm like, is that really something you expect somebody to unpack right there, right after a loss in after, front right of all after. the press? Mm-hmm. I'm like, the only reason you could be asking that question is to get a reaction, right? Because you can't really expect someone to be able to unpack all of that right there yeah. in the moment. Yeah, that's that's that it comes to me. It comes back to the same dehumanizing them in a way. Right. It's like, what? Like, are you are you like asking this so they're gonna cry in front of you or they're gonna like lose their shit and like hate you or are you just expecting them to be like a robot and just like you know have this things that they have to say after a press you know after a match or whatever in the press conference and like just not have any feelings like are you just expecting them to not have any feelings Right, exactly. It's like you're asking them to show a level of vulnerability that they might not even have with themselves yet. Right. What in the world would I like I would never ask somebody that like I I feel like if I were in the room I might say is there anything that you want to say after this loss? Is there anything you want to share with your fans? Yeah. And if they say no, okay, cool. But right. like, do you feel devastated? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, how do you expect me to feel? <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you even pat myself in the back after that one? Like, <laughs> damn. And so in one of the press conferences after one of the losses that happened after Kobe's passing, she talked about how she felt like tennis matches were a test. That was also significant to mm-hmm. me because a lot of times when people talk about being tested in life, they talk about life situations. Mm-hmm. And so for her to say that her tests are tennis matches, mm-hmm. once again, shows the amount of weight that she puts on this mm-hmm. sport of tennis. Yeah. While some people are saying, oh, it's just a game and you're, you're, you're too weak, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. For whatever reason, and I don't care what the reason is, like she doesn't owe anybody an explanation, but for whatever reason, this really matters to her. And it, and it sounds like it matters to her because of all the people in her life. Speaking of, her boyfriend is adorable. Oh, so cute. <laughs> so cute. 
Like, I couldn't find another way to bring him into this situation because he didn't say anything controversial that I could, like, really tie into no. all these deep topics. No. But... It was there in the matches and everything's so cute. I, I love seeing him in the documentary. I yeah. love that he is so down to earth and just so supportive and just yeah. such a, like, such a normal guy and yeah. just so cute. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. you know, he wasn't, like, some snobby, pretentious yes. guy. Like, he, like... I don't know where she met this guy, but like, good for y'all. Good, good choice. Yes. Like, he seems really yes. cool. Yes, um, agreed. <laughs> but one of the questions that she got after one of these matches was um, after mentioning that the tennis matches were like life tests for her. They said, "Can you handle these tests and process them, or does it feel overwhelming?" She said, "I don't have the champion mentality yet." which is someone that can deal with not playing 100%. And I've always wanted to be like that. I guess I still have a long way to go. And then later in a sort of voiceover, she said, I'm losing matches because I'm mentally weak. Mm-hmm. And she's, she was disappointed because she said that was very uncharacteristic of Kobe. So she, once again, yeah. we see this reoccurring theme of her putting a lot of pressure on herself and feeling like she's letting people down. Even though Kobe has passed away, mm-hmm. she feels like she's letting him down by mm-hmm. not being strong enough. Yeah. I'm like, this young woman is under so much pressure. So, so when people try to make light of her situation and act like she's soft because she doesn't want to deal with press conferences, it's like, no, she has set a boundary based on what she's dealing with. Now, may she one day process this a little bit different and be able to put tennis in a different perspective? Yeah. Maybe, hopefully, because from looking at it, it seems like the people in her life really love her and really care about her Mm -hmm. and are not looking at her as less of a person when she does lose a tennis match. Yeah. But she feels so obligated to make these people proud that, you know, she puts a lot of weight on herself. And maybe it has something to do with what she talked about in the beginning where she said that her parents were told that she would never be anything. And a lot of that had to do with her race and her Mm -hmm. father's race. Mm -hmm. And so maybe she feels like she has extra, an extra obligation to prove all those people wrong and not just wrong, but like dead fucking wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like to make them regret ever letting those words come out of their mouth. Yep. Because that feeling manifests itself in different ways in different people. In uh-huh. some people, it comes out as aggression uh-huh. and they push themselves even harder and they'll go even more. Yeah. They'll, you know, they'll want to do more press conferences. They'll yeah. want to speak their mind even more. Yeah. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll be in public reading people, tweeting all the time, yada, yada, yada. For some people, it caused them to be very introspective mm-hmm. and put a lot of weight on that moment and be very stuck in that moment and the weight and the value and significance in that moment, or at least the significance that they're placing on it. Right. So ultimately, what did you end up taking away from the documentary? That she's a human being, most of it. <laughs> that she's going through a lot. That she does put a l- way too much pressure on herself. She is already a great athlete she's super young and i she also mentioned uh because she was homeschool most mm-hmm. of the time because she was you know so already doing all the tennis and stuff and and like she was like i don't know i'm 22 or 23 and like is 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 the people my age now like finishing college like where what is the people my age doing now mm-hmm. and like and she was saying or she was like thinking 
would I would have I gone to college? What would have I done if I wouldn't have done this? Like and but she was like, I'm so I'm so far into this right now that I I cannot allow myself to think about what would have been or the what ifs and stuff. And I don't know, that was a, a little sad too, you know, but like you, I mean, uh, like you make your own decisions in life too. And, you know, whatever you think it's best for you. And I, 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 if I didn't like her enough, I really, I really, really love her now after the documentary. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I loved her already. And now I, I think I just love her in a different way. Yeah. One of the things I, I like. I see her differently now. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I like documentaries like this because of the human perspective that they mm -hmm. add, because we make so many assumptions about people who are successful, mm -hmm. you know, about what their life must be like, about mm -hmm. the money that they may or may not earn and what it must be like to have so many fans and so much admiration. And we just assume that their lives are so great all the time. And we don't think about the cost of that greatness. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't think about the cost of training for something from the time that you're a child. Mm -hmm. We don't think about what kind of pressure you have to put yourself under in order to achieve that level of right. greatness. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't think about it, yeah. you know? Um, because even with Venus and Serena, you know, they started playing tennis as children, but like we didn't get to see interviews like this with them when they were, you know, 20 something. We got to see the very surface level interviews. Right. Um, But even watching the series that Serena put out on HBO Max and just watching what she was going through during and after her pregnancy, just, yeah. you know, being able to see these sides of people, I feel like it gives us a different perspective on the success and on the mentality of an athlete. And instead of looking at them as these one dimensional characters who are always go hard or go home, yeah. go 100% or you're not good enough. Right. You know, it's like. Hey, like the doubts that you're having, they have it too. Yeah. You know, the same way that sometimes you don't have it in you to push through, sometimes they don't either. Yeah. You know, and so it's it's not turning off your feelings or turning off your emotions that makes you great the right. way that some people think it is. Right. It, it really is just, you know, putting in the work and, and finding a way to win. But sometimes you don't find a way to win and that's okay too. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. Know. There's just there's so much that a person could take away. So one thing that I will say to anybody listening, definitely give it a watch. I feel like oh, yes, anybody can take away something different from, from watching this documentary. Yes, yes. But and stop dehumanizing athletes. Stop dehumanizing <laughs> athletes. They're But, not just dollar signs or <laughs> entertainment for you. They they have a life. Right, exactly. <laughs> and when I talked in the beginning about how her situation is different than Simone Biles's, but the same, this whole idea of them putting a lot of pressure on themselves and basically training for something their whole life, mm -hmm. that's where the similarity lies. The difference in this situation, you know, shifting the focus to Simone Biles right now, is that, you know, Simone Biles... Um, She seems to be handling her her need to protect her mental health in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. So she she's actually still been doing press conferences and she's actually been very assertive in her press conferences. Oh yeah. Um, This I, is what I'm doing, and I don't care what you're saying. Right. <laughs> and that's it. Right. And so one thing I have to say about the Simone Biles situation is that I I feel like a lot of people are taking that situation 
and molding it for their own use. It's like people have things to say about Simone Biles. People have things to say that about athletes. People have things to say about mental health. And they're not really looking at her situation. Mm-hmm. They're just taking the headlines and kind of molding it like Play-Doh to whatever they want it to be so they can make their own statement. Yes. Oh. So... Yes, girl. That was very well put together. Yes. <laughs> so, so here's my interpretation right. of, of what's happening with Simone Biles. So just a quick recap for anybody who might be a little bit out of the loop. <laughs> um, the other night, the it was the final round mm-hmm. of the artistic team gymnastics right. competitions. Mm-hmm. And Simone Biles actually did do her vault and it was after that mm-hmm. that she withdrew from the competition. Mm-hmm. Now, I was watching that vault, and while she was still in the air, it looked off. And then she landed, and she didn't stick the landing, which is not characteristic of her. That's not. And it was, it was just kind of odd. Mm-hmm. And so when she withdrew, first they said that she withdrew for mental health reasons. And then they came back and said that it was an injury. Yeah. And then they came back and said that it was mental health reasons again. Yeah. So once again, if you're following the Bitches Love Sports Twitter, you might have seen that <laughs> I retweeted something and then I unretweeted something. <laughs> because I, I was just trying to, to follow along and, you know, yeah. keep keep our feed current, just like everybody else. Is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, We're trying our best, yeah. There's a lot going on. Give us a break. <laughs> but when when they fi- when when she finally came back and said that it was a mental reason, mm-hmm. that was a sufficient answer for me. It didn't need to be yeah. an injury because I think one thing that people don't realize is that when you feel off doing these stunts, <sighs> you're yes, you're especially so much- the things that she's doing. Yes, there's an extra level so of physical. risk. Yes, you, so, just, you're gonna be <laughs> much more prone to injury when you're not feeling good enough mentally. And that's just how it is. One of the things that she said was that she was losing her place when she was in the air. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so without getting too deep or too technical in it, let me kind of break down why some of the moves that she does are more dangerous. Because if you follow the sports headlines, especially with gymnastics, you probably know that one of the moves that she's doing, which they started calling the Biles, um, was actually giving, given a lower difficulty rating than what it should have been mm-hmm. because the people who assign ratings did not want to encourage other gymnasts to try to, to, to do, do it, it mm-hmm. to Good. achieve a higher score mm-hmm. because they were worried about the health and safety of other gymnasts. That's how hard so, it is. <laughs> That's how hard it is that move is. Okay. So in a nutshell, when you're level, leveling up the difficulty, this is my interpretation of it. I'm not a gymnast. I've never been a gymnastics coach, and I'm just really diving deep into this to understand the situation better. But here's my understanding. That when you're when you're increasing the level of difficulty of a particular um, of a particular competition, so like vault, you can add spins or you can add twists. Those mm-hmm. are two options, you know. Uh, and so twists is when you're twisting the air, and and flips um, is adding flips is whenever you're actually adding extra rotations. Okay. And so because she was adding flips to these moves, which is what made it more difficult, mm-hmm. you increase the odds of Several things, but two of the main things you increase the odds of is one, you increase the odds of landing on your head or neck, yep. <laughs> which could literally kill you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or two, you increase the odds of landing in a weird way on your ankle and breaking your ankle. Mm-hmm. You know. And yeah. I was watching someone break down not that particular vault, but a vault that she did, I believe, during the qualifying rounds, where they said she um, 
where she landed too high. And so basically, the best way I can describe it is that you need a lot of power to do the moves that she's doing. But if you have too much, then your hands aren't going to land in the right place. Therefore, you aren't going to launch in the right way. So right. you're not going to do the stunt in the right way and you'll end up landing weird. weird right. And so you, so it's like, while we like to think, you know, the more the better when it comes to strength and power, yeah. sometimes that additional power can be too much. And so you have to find that happy medium. Yeah. So it's not so much just like, let me go as hard as I can. Yeah. You have to be precise. Mm -hmm. The timing and the power that you put into it. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's precision involved here. Mm -hmm. And so if you're off and that is off, you can really put yourself at risk. Oh, yeah. And so for that reason, I'm like, I, I don't blame her for, for not wanting to compete. And that's why I said that people were overreacting to it because people were saying that she was crumbling under the pressure, that she was falling apart. And I really don't think she... Is. I don't I think, think so. By the way that she was talking on the press conference, she's not crumbling. Right. I think she just recognized that she was off enough yes. to increase her odds of injury. Yes. And she's like, I have to think about what's best for the team. Mm -hmm. And I also have to think about the cost versus benefit of whether or not to compete in these particular competitions. Yeah. And right now, the potential cost doesn't seem worth it. And, and she trusted her teammates enough that she knew that we we're going to meddle regardless. Right. It, it, it's when, not when just she was about Drew, her. It's about the whole team, too. And she didn't just do it for herself. That's what I took from her press conferences. Like, like she trusted the team to do the thing that they needed to be doing. And that's it. Right. By the time she withdrew, it seemed like it would take a lot for them to not get a right. medal. Right. And if you watch the rest of, of that competition, I hate to say it, but it's like if what they did didn't cause them to get knocked off the podium, like she was right because their floor routines. Mm, I love Jordan Childs, but she messed up during her floor routine, mm -hmm. right? She went out of bounds. She fell, you know, that's two pretty big mistakes in one routine. So yes. for that to happen and they still meddled, I feel like whatever was going still on, all, like, right? Still. <laughs> like, is, Simone Biles is not new to this. Yes. She was able to look at that situation uh -huh. and make a good decision mm -hmm. about what was best for the team. Yeah, and they still got a medal. They they still made it onto the podium. So, yeah. I I have a question. Yeah, do you think that like same thing uh, during the uh, basketball finals? when Booker got benched for a hot minute because he had too many fouls. Um, and and the team just sort of lost it mentally. Like, they got in their heads. They got very frustrated. Do you think the same thing happened to the gymnast when Simone withdrew? Hmm. That's a good question. Like, and they, they felt more pressure to it, you know, like, oh, shit, we got to... We got to do it now. Like, you know, I would say it's possible, but I don't think it was the main thing. And here's why. So in that game, it's a little bit different because there were various times when Booker was not on the floor. Right. You know, and I so in that situation, I think it was the fact that he was not on the floor for so long. Right. Right. That right. the Bucks took advantage of. Right. But it wasn't like every time he left. 
right, the right, team right, fell right. apart. Because they knew they were coming. They right. knew he was coming back anyways. And in and in gymnastics, there's no direct opponent. Right, like, right. There's That's nobody. What I'm saying. Like as there's as nobody during your floor routine who's out there like trying to hey, knock I, you out. Tag, <laughs> let me tag you out. <laughs> My that turn. Be, that would be a whole different sport if, <laughs> if like the Russians could just come on the floor during your floor routine and be like, "What's up? Bet you can't flip over me." <laughs> Like, I would watch it though. But, I would too. but I that's would a different too. sport. Um, but like also, <laughs> also prior to that, they were they were already performing in a way that was not characteristic of the U.S. Okay. But here's what I do think might be affecting them because um, Simone Biles mentioned this. So so I have to I have to say this because I watched an interview that she did with um, Glamour a month ago. And she she mentioned that she's not a competitor. She was like, I'm not a very competitive person. I, I you know, my goal isn't to win. And I believe her when she says that. I believe she considers what's best for the team. I believe she's considering other people. Yes. A lot like Naomi Osaka is considering other people. Yes. And in her interviews regarding withdrawing from these competitions, she said, I wanted to do this for me. And I'm paraphrasing here. But in so many words, she said, I wanted to do this for me. And it still feels like I'm doing it for other people. Now, on, on the surface, that might sound like a very shallow statement. Like, so what if you're doing it for other people? You still got to show up. But here's the thing. She mentioned that it's been a long year and yeah. that the Olympics experience has been very stressful. Yeah. And I do believe it probably has been more stressful than other experiences because I don't know what the athletes are dealing with, but I saw where there was a reporter talking about all the restrictions placed on mm -hmm. them because of the COVID situation right. in Tokyo right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were saying how they couldn't leave the hotel for more than 15 minutes at a, at a time. Mm -hmm. So in order to get to the nearest corner store and back, they basically have to speed walk and they have, they have trackers on them and they have to be back at a certain time. That's and so, insane. so, you know, even though you're in a, a city that from what I hear is as beautiful as Tokyo, mm -hmm. the experience, you know, if the, if the athletes are having to deal with anything like that, it's probably very stressful. Right. And it's like, you have to look at the two events that she's withdrawn from. And, and now I'm just making assumptions, but she's withdrawn from both all around events. Mm -hmm. To me, that suggests that maybe there's some aspect of those particular events that she didn't want to do. Right. But she was doing it because she felt there was some sort of pressure to either get a certain number of medals mm -hmm. or somebody said like, well, I know you don't like to do X, Y, Z, but we really need you to do it because of this. Like someone mentioned that she doesn't like the balance beam, that, you know, it's one of the things that she struggles with the most. So I don't know what it is, but I just thought it was interesting that those are the two events that she's withdrawn from. Yeah. Yeah. so far but she also mentioned that they weren't having fun you know yeah and she, she for those of you it was weird that not having a crowd like it right. was really weird to her to be performing at this level and not having a crowd like right. it was affecting her yeah and if you've never I don't know who's listening, but if you've never been an athlete, that can change the energy of a situation. 100%. And even with not having a crowd, not having fun can definitely oh. change the energy of a situation. Yes. And we don't know if she's not having fun in those moments or if there's something <clears throat> about the experience of being there in Tokyo and whatever protocols that they have placed on the athletes that is making this whole thing just not fun yes, no. yes. because mm -hmm. we might be thinking of it from the perspective of you go there you compete da 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 yeah but for all we know when she's not out there on the floor she might be in a room by herself the whole time and just Alone. thinking or yes. she might be on social media and just taking in certain pressures from that yeah. we don't really know and honestly 
she doesn't owe us an explanation. Right. <laughs> that that's not my point in saying this. Yeah. My my point in saying this is just to point out all the things that I don't think people have considered. Right. Be- mm-hmm. Because here's the other thing that that people seem to not not bring up in this conversation. And I thought about this when she talked about doing this for other people and wanting to do this for herself. Simone Biles is a survivor. Mm-hmm. Nasser, the dude who's locked up for 175 years, <gasps> she had to deal with that man. Mm. And USA Gymnastics oh, did yes. not protect her. And now here she is representing mm. this same organization. So we don't know who's still around, what might have triggered her, or what might still be lingering, or what she may have seen yeah. mm. at this competition, maybe among interactions with her teammates or, or what she's seen on other teams. Yeah. We have no idea. There are so many things mm-hmm. that people don't think about. But here's a point I was going to make earlier that I wanted to break down now. All right. Because I had a conversation with somebody about how last year everybody was talking about Michael Jordan and the last dance. Mm -hmm. And juxtaposing that with this year and people talking about athletes and mental health. Because if you watch the last dance, it kind of reinforces that narrative of the athlete of being that go hard or go home Mm -hmm. person. Go 100% all the time. You know, there's that scene that kind of went viral from the last dance where Jordan is talking about... He's he's referring to his abusive language toward mm-hmm. his teammates, uh-huh. which he was calling them bitches and hoes, which <laughs> I don't think I could get away with that. I've said some shit to my teammates, but I think if I showed up at practice and I was hey, you like, fucking hoe. <laughs> <laughs> like, run your mouth now, bitch. Yeah. I feel like it would be a problem. Right. Right. But he starts tearing up and he says, if you don't want to play that way, you don't have to play that way. I just wanted to be great, you know, in, in so many words. But yeah. he, he started tearing up over the fact that people were looking back on his uh, treatment of them and now saying that he was abusive or saying he was an asshole. Mm-hmm. And if you watch sports news as that documentary was airing, there were some uh, there were some old wounds that were dug up, especially oh. with Isaiah Thomas not making the Olympic dream team. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I remember being kind of amused by it because I'm, I'm watching TV and I'm basically watching um, these grown men read each other <laughs> on national television about a situation that played out 30 years before. Right. But looking back on it now, what I see is grown men that did not heal from a situation. Mm-hmm. There are some issues there that were never resolved. Isaiah Thomas was still holding on to some things mm-hmm. from not being selected for that Olympic team. Michael Jordan was still holding on to some things uh, related to not connecting with his teammates in the right way. And so while everybody's sitting here talking about Simone Biles withdrawing from this competition, let's not forget, Michael Jordan left the game of basketball for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He completely left the whole game for two years, yeah. but people still refer to him as an elite athlete, as the best of the best, the GOAT, the toughest of the tough. Mm-hmm. But he left for two years, and there's good reason to believe it was for his mental health, because that was around the time his father died. He was being accused of, of gambling and possibly fixing games in the NBA. There was a lot of tension on the team. But nobody judged him in this way for leaving. They they kind of spread rumors about why yeah. he was leaving. They accused him of leaving because of the gambling to avoid um, punishment from the NBA. But I don't remember anybody calling him weak. I don't remember anybody calling him soft. I don't remember anybody saying that he couldn't handle it. Right. 
You know, they respected his decision. And so I don't know if it's because these are women that are doing this or because they've been so honest about the relationship between their decision and their mental health that are making people look at it differently. But I just felt the need to point that out because this is something that athletes do sometimes. They do step away sometimes. Sometimes people retire altogether. Yeah. And I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, uh, both the mental health and yes. and the feminine aspect. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it is too because here's something that I that I notice a lot. You know, I big up women a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing that I want people to know is that when I say women, I'm referring to women with an X because I want my MB friends to know that, especially the feminine presenting ones. I'm talking about you too, because when it comes to society, it's not just about women not being treated with respect or women being looked at as lower than men. Pretty much anybody who is feminine, anybody who presents themselves with a certain level of femininity mm-hmm. is not respected in society. You're respected less. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I talk about all women, regardless of what you were assigned at birth, mm-hmm. what you call your gender now, whether you know you're non-binary, you're both uh, a man and a woman, queer. neither a man mm-hmm. nor a woman, whatever. Mm-hmm. If if shout out to all my queer athletes, shout out to you guys. If you are People. feminine presenting, if you are a woman, you are dealing with some level of bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when I get excited about women out here win- winning, I'm talking about all women. Mm-hmm. And so like that. And so I, I do think a lot of it is that even if nobody will, I don't think anybody will say that she's less because she's a woman. like nobody is going to say that. Right. But I do think that people analyze the situation because she's a woman, because that's just what people do. That's mm-hmm. what society does. Right. Once femininity is brought into the equation, people look at the situation differently. Uh, very different. And I, I, I feel like it's just seen as weakness. Like, they can't take it. Oh, there's too much pressure for them. Oh, maybe if it would have been a dude, it wouldn't have been, it would be different, you know. The dude's going to take it. Fuck you. No, they can't. Yeah. Characteristics that are seen as as feminine are are typically regarded as weak. Mm, Yes. I hate that. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. (laughs) I do too. I hate that. But, you know, self-awareness, consideration of mental health, those things are, are, considered feminine traits. And so, yeah, I do think people look at it differently, even if it's on a subconscious level. I think people look at this differently, both yeah. because she's a woman, also because she's a woman of color, and also because they directly mention mental health. Do you also think that men don't, quote-unquote, take breaks or, you know, whatever as often because they're men, so they should be tougher and like this and that, so I can do this because it's not a mental health issue? I do think that comes into play, I don't think they're always conscious of it, though. And the reason I think that is Like they're not self-aware of their own mental health? I think they're not aware of their own mental health. I think they're also not aware of the biases that have been ingrained in them from the time that they're born, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I have so many friends that are men, and I'm so close to so many of my family members that Mm -hmm. are men. Mm -hmm. And when I see them have these moments of awareness... I can tell that that these are things that they've never thought about before. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much that they're making that conscious decision as like, I am a man, so I don't take breaks. 
no one ever taught them that they should. Right, exactly. No one ever taught them that it's okay. Like, they compare themselves to, like, superheroes and people like Goku that are literally (laughs) not human. Yeah, Goku is literally not human, yet they feel like that's who they should aspire to. And and not even joking, like, literally. Yes, 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 exactly. And so the idea that they should take a break, it's like... Oh, you can't. Is that okay? Right. You know, right, like they, right. they really don't consider it. And so I think it takes a lot of, um, it, it takes a lot to convince them that that's okay because they've never been taught to do it. Mm-hmm. They don't see people do it. A lot right. of the men that I know, their, their fathers and older men in their life didn't really teach them the, the honest parts of their experience of being a man. Mm-hmm. One of my closest friends, one of the conversations uh, that we have a lot is about the fact that most of the advice that he got growing up was to man up. Yeah. And he was like, I hit about 25 and I realized I didn't really know what man up meant. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah. It doesn't have any practical application. And so yeah. there are these situations yeah. where I need actual advice. Mm-hmm. I need step-by-step guidance. Mm-hmm. I need real world feedback. I need somebody to tell me the truth about these situations. And yeah. all I get is man up. And it's because my dad never had to practice expressing himself either. So even if he wanted to tell me the truth, he doesn't even know where to start. Right. You know? Right, right. Yeah, that's that's what I meant by, like, them not taking breaks or whatever because they've... It's not like it's not... Like, they've been taught that it's not like it's not okay, but they've never been taught that it is okay to actually take a break. Yeah. One of the things that I mention a lot, uh, I have this conversation with my dad and and I have it with my male friends, is that... The, the things that make boys boys allow them to be very, um, allow them to basically act on instinct, mm-hmm. right? Young girls are taught to take care of their clothes, to not get dirty. All of this is part of being feminine. You know, mm-hmm. you're a young lady, so you have to, I remember my mom making me carry a purse and start wearing lip gloss at a young age and like take care of my clothes and, you know, have a, have a planner. Mm. Whereas boys are just like, not only allowed to, but they're just expected to get dirty. They don't really, (laughs) they're not expected to take care of their belongings, yada, yada, yada. So everything that comes along with being a girl and presenting as feminine requires you to think more, Mm -hmm. requires you to be more Mm self-aware, requires you to be more conscious of what other people are thinking of you, Mm -hmm. both how you look externally. And how you present yourself as a person. Their demeanor, their tone, everything. Yes, everything related to femininity requires this hyper awareness of Mm -hmm. what people around you think about who Mm -hmm. you are and what you're doing and what you look like and the decisions that you make. We just think it's easy. We're just we're born like this. Yeah, whereas boys are encouraged to just (laughs) do what they do. Yeah. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Mm -mm. No, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I, I do too. But before we go, I did want to talk about the boys a little bit. <laughs> Can we talk about the boys? Let's talk about the boys. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I got to bring up the word of the day again, consideration, in regards to U.S. men's basketball. I didn't get to see the game against France before I heard that they lost to France. And the way people were talking about the loss to France, they acted like the basketball team just fell apart. They were out there just... 
not scoring. It was terrible. Now, don't get me wrong. They weren't scoring like this or that. <laughs> but it really wasn't that bad. Until like the last 30 seconds, I really thought that they were going to... Come back? Yeah, that they... Well, I mean, they were winning for a large portion of the game. Mm-hmm. And I really thought they were going to win, you know, and I, I didn't really... It didn't really escape my head that they were going to win until like the last 20 to 30 seconds. Like, it, it wasn't that big of a spread. Right. And so the disappointment for me didn't come so much in the fact that they lost to France because France is a good team. Yeah. France has NBA players on their team just like we have on our team. Right. You know, so it's, it's not like it was a bad team, but it was it was just the, the way that they lost is what disappointed me. So one of the things that people were bringing up after they lost to France was the fact that international rules allow for more physical play. Mm-hmm. And so they were saying that the way that the NBA has evolved, our players just aren't as aggressive and they don't know how to play physically. And so that's why they're going to get beat up during this tournament and yada, yada, yada. Boy, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, there's a little bit of validity to that. One, considering the fact that only two people on the team are returning. Um, and that's uh, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, and everybody else is, is their first time in their Olympics, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So I can see how somebody might be like, oh, they're not used to it. They're used to the NBA style. They're not adapting to the international style. It's not just that. It's a brand new team. Like you, and they didn't even have the time to practice together as much. Like they just came out of the fucking NBA season. Like that. That was actually one of the things that I was watching that game thinking about. I was watching that game against France, and I was like, who is the leader on this? Yeah. I'm like, I see a bunch of scorers. I see people not really playing defense for real. Although some of y'all <laughs> should be able to play defense. Like Draymond, where you at? Durant, what you what are you doing? <laughs> um, but it just didn't feel like they had any real leadership. They were not cohesive. They were and and then there was the fact that a few of them had like just gotten there. So there might have been some jet lag at play. Like Devin Booker, <laughs> like <laughs> Oh Devin. We're I'm gonna talk so about you every about your jet lag. <laughs> But during the, during the game against France, I was disappointed. I was like, what is this? Um, but, but yeah, they were, they were shooting terribly. They weren't playing aggressive defense. And I was just like, I was, I was kind of worried watching that game. So I can see why people were worried. But like, really, y'all were doing the most with those comments. Y'all are acting like the team was just falling apart and they just got their ass beat. No, it was a loss. They lost to a good team. Yeah. They were lackluster. They were slow. They were taking shots they shouldn't have taken. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I had to watch the game versus Iran. <laughs> Complete 180. They came out there with energy. <laughs> the pace was quick. They were aggressive. They were making shots. They were communicating and leadership. <laughs> Damian Lillard. Oh my goodness. Okay, so after the game against France, I had a conversation with someone and I was saying, and we, we were talking about the leadership thing. And I was like, I think people expect Kevin Durant to be the leader because mm-hmm. he's so dominant. But if you think about how he normally interacts on the teams that he's on, he's never been in a leadership role. I actually saw Damian Lillard as more of a leader, but Damian Lillard has never dealt with other stars because he's playing over there in Portland where he is the star and right. it's probably expected for the team to follow him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Durant is used to dealing with other stars. Right. And I was, but I was like, I just feel like Lillard would be a better leader for the team. <laughs> Lillard came out in this game. It, it looked like he was leading the team, but it was kind of weird to me because the announcers and the spots that were set aside, like throughout the game, just kept focusing on Durant, and I really didn't understand why. 
So I don't know if somebody's trying to push this narrative that he's a leader. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure somebody is because there was this one point where one of the announcers, um, Bob Fitzgerald, was like, well, there's more than one way to lead. And one of the ways is by observing Kevin Durant's dominant play on the court. And don't get me wrong, those long limbs that he has are very useful on defense. You know, it looks like they shook Spread up the Iranian leaves. team, you know, and, and he came out, he was one of the starters. So he came out, he helped set the tone with them being aggressive, fast paced, mm-hmm. you know, shooting, scoring, all of that. But at the end of the day, I felt like Damien Lillard, his leadership, like it, it just looked like they were following his lead as far as style of play. Also, he's a top scorer um, with 21 points. Booker came in second. <laughs> I gotta stop saying his name like that. Hey, Booker. I'm a fucking professional. <laughs> um, no, but Doesn't I was, come to the show. <laughs> we'll, wear, we'll wear your shirt. Cool. <laughs> I'm inviting people to the show. <laughs> hey, you know, invitation is open. I'm I mean, it is. You can come through. Um... <laughs> Maybe maybe once we actually get some listeners. <laughs> I was going to wait. <laughs> I was going to wait till I had like Again. some relevance. <laughs> it's cool. You'll come next week. It's kind of like Not in next Derby. week I'll be gone. I'll come no, next week. It's kind of like in Derby where it's like you invite your friends and come watch you play, but you're so excited because it's your first bout, but you're actually kind of trash. Yes. And then by the time you get good, they don't want to come watch you. <laughs> good point so y'all wait we'll invite you i mean invitation is open but you know yeah yeah maybe wait a couple of months or open invitation but you probably won't hear us say it on the podcast for a while but just know <laughs> if you ever happen to be in austin <laughs> and you're looking for something to do hey there's a couple of skaters who know how to have a good time Ooh, Devin, come through. no like for a really good time like we know the spots to go hang out like that's what i meant the roller rink. I'm just kidding. We're not gonna take. We're not gonna put you on skates. I'm pretty sure there's something in your contract that would prohibit that anyway. Yes. No. But we'll, we'll, um, there's a lot of cool places here. Yeah. Come hang out. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Back to sports. But yeah. <laughs> speaking of hot people, which Devin Booker definitely is. <laughs> He's so cute. I'm not a fan of Devin Booker with the headband. Oh. But he okay. can pull it off. But you like it though. You like it. I did like it. I thought he looked cute in that new fresh cut. I think he looks really cute with the. But fresh see, that's cut. the thing. I can't tell if it's actually a fresh cut because of the headband. I feel like he mm-hmm. hasn't been lined up. Like maybe there was just too much going on between championships and getting to Japan, and he didn't get lined up, and that's why he's wearing the headband. That's what I think. Mm. Mm. But I don't know. I'm maybe maybe it's, you're right. But I think I think it looks good. It's not my favorite look, but <laughs> I can tell. when I was I watching that's... pregame and he cracked that smile, I was like, he's still that's hot. It. <laughs> as soon as I said, oh my god, he looks good. Whatever. Like, I don't like the headband. <laughs> like okay, girl. He's still hot though, and so is Damian Lillard. Like I mean, anybody questioning his leadership skills? First of all. You can tell this man is a winner because how are you a dominant basketball player and a good rapper? Like both, <laughs> like both of those things take, things take effort and uh-huh. practice and, and commitment time. And, yes. and time. Yes. yes. And, and maybe that's what he means by Dame time. Like maybe he literally is running on a different clock and he just has more time than it's everybody the craft. else. It's there's the craft. like there's like the twenty four hours in the day and then there's Dame time. <laughs> <laughs> the extra few hours that he gets from God. Right. he's a wizard. We don't know. We don't know. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, so so Dame was first with 21 points, and then Booker was second with 16 points. Um, Kevin Durant only scored 10 points. And that's not to downplay his contribution, but I'm just saying, like, Lillard just seems to be a better example for the team as far as how to play and how to really go at it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about that game was that they were just dominant through the entire game, even within the last minute when it was clear. Like, they were up 116 to 66. 60, yeah. yeah. And, like, like there was an inbounds pass for Iran. Like, they were trying to inbound the ball, <laughs> and we just stole the ball, and Booker went up and dunked it. And yes! I was like, that was so disrespectful. Devin, you about to start a whole international incident because <laughs> you out here showing off. He had so much energy. I mean, jumping for defensive rebounds. He looked like he could have played a whole nother half. He looked like he was ready. Yeah. Was like, remember how during the playoffs, I was like, you can tell, like, when Booker has a good game, he turns pink. But when he has a great game, he turns red. Like, he wasn't even pink yet. Like, he was, he could still go. He, he was, was still like, ready. All right, next. He was making it look so easy. There was another play before that, like in the third quarter, where he stole the ball on the inbounds pass and dunked it. I was like, I don't know where you're getting all this energy from, but I love it. Like, I, I have those clips saved on my computer. I'm watching Maybe he back. wasn't as jet lag. <laughs> whatever you ate, whatever you did, maybe it's the headband. I don't know, but I, I loved it. I love watching it. You go, Devin. By Iran, which kind of trash, though? They were slower and missed uh, most of the shots. Anyways. Okay, okay, you you have a point, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. you know, they score like six or six points. The, the narrative that we're going with <laughs> is the energy we're putting out there is that the USA basketball team, their defense is what interrupted Iran's flow and made them uncomfortable. All right. Because, I mean, really fair, they did. Fair, fair point, Because really point. they did. Like, like, there were definitely some points where it's just, like, the height of certain people, like Kevin Durant. That's why I keep talking about Durant's impact. Like, you could tell there were times where he, like, people were like, I can't shoot around this guy, right? Yeah. I can't so, do anything. <laughs> I can't see anything. Right. <laughs> so, so, yes, it's true. <laughs> Iran was kind of trash, though. All right. But the U.S. <laughs> did play a lot better. So, like... 39 rebounds, 34 assists, 10 steals, and only six turnovers. Only six. I mean, I'm excited to see what they do against the Czech Republic. Yes. I really am. Yes. Which is on Saturday, I believe. It's going to um, be a good game. So, yeah, by the time we get around to talking about that, you'll be on vacation. I'll be on vacation time. So, mm. I might be all by myself, y'all. So, I apologize in advance if I do an entire episode dedicated to Devin Booker. <laughs> Do you want to do just a special by yourself? I won't do that. Dear Devin. I won't do that to y'all, I promise. (laughs) If I do, I'm going to keep that to myself. I remember the first time I watched you play. (laughs) I remember when you got drafted. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. so glad this is not on video <laughs> what is wrong with us <laughs> i can't wait till Giannis is back in the news again i'm gonna get you <laughs> just hold up hold up <laughs> i just wish he would do a, a, a post-game interview or something like 
I've seen the smile. I've seen the aggressive play. I just need to hear the voice now. Devin. I, yes, I need that. I need that in my Olympics viewing experience. Also, Devin, do <laughs> please do an do an audiobook. Do an audiobook just an audiobook. for me. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just send us a voice message on Twitter. You hey, know, whatever. Yes, takes just, less effort. Yes, just yes, do that. Do that. <laughs> it would make bitch to so happy. You have no. My idea. birthday is coming up. <laughs> so you can just be like, <laughs> happy birthday, <laughs> dear bitch. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Happiest of B days. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh God. I I was gonna say we should quit while we're ahead, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> we should just quit. <laughs> we're no longer ahead. This episode started off great. I hope y'all took away. A lot from what we said in the beginning. <laughs> All the serious stuff. All yeah, serious maybe stuff. I maybe I made a mistake by talking about the boys, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, you know, I like talking about the boys anyways. This is so much fun. <laughs> yeah, gotta end it with a shout out to the women. Uh, Simone Biles, Yes, you have our support. I do oh, hope we get to see you compete in, in some of the remaining events. Yes. But if not, just know that you're still the GOAT. I know you yes. know that. You don't need me to tell you that. No. Um, Naomi, you still have my support. support. Yes. You still have our support. That was a tough loss. But, you know, at the end of the day, what your job is, is still the same, Mm -hmm. which is like, you still have to go back and and train. You still have to get ready for the next competition. Correct. Time is still going on. You still have to move forward. Mm -hmm. So even though this event did not go how you wanted it to go, and this is is word to everybody who's ever played a sport and dealt with a big loss. Mm Mm-hmm. More than likely, unless it's your last game, what you have to do after that is still the same. Yeah. It's like you still have to get back in, in, in the, the gym. Yeah. You still have to get back to practice. Mm-hmm. You still have to focus on your next event. So yes. just look forward. Focus yep. on focus on the future. Don't sit in that moment. That's Don't let right. that moment get to you. Um, and to U.S. women's soccer, keep doing your thing. Yes. I'm proud of you. I enjoyed watching that game. If nobody else did, <laughs> and U.S. women's basketball, thank you for representing the country so well. Doing, going out there, doing what you're supposed to do, winning, being the dominant team and that we expect well. you to be. Mm-hmm. We love it. We love to see it. Yeah. So thank this you. is us signing off. I'm bitch two, bitch one, and this was bitches love sports. See you next time.